Amen. It's a great, great line in that song there. It says, and as I wait, and sometimes that doesn't make us feel so good, right? Waiting here in this world. As I wait, and then what does it say? I rise up like the eagle. Isn't God's plan wonderful? He did not leave us here just to wait and to be discouraged or to be bored. But God has left us here in this world in a way where we can rise up like the eagle, even here in this place. And it seems like we're so far away from that so often. I want to encourage you today to rise up like an eagle. Maybe you need some encouragement. Maybe one of those songs that we sang was just what did it. Maybe it's going to be our time gathered around the Lord's table today and remembering the uh, sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I'd like for us to bow in prayer one more time. Would you bow with me, please? Gracious Father, we would ask that you would, as the word of God is open now, that you would open our minds so that we could think clearly about this. It's common that I ask that there would be distractions that are pushed away. I think that the devil works overtime on Sunday mornings to keep us from thinking about things besides what Jesus did or besides what you have for us in your word. And I would ask that you would clear those distractions out of the, out of the thoughts of those listening today. I would also ask that you would open our hearts. Allow us, God, not to just be better informed because of our time in your house today. Help us to be better followers of you, loving you. I pray for your clear involvement during this time. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. If you, like me, are going through life and just asking questions, wondering how we got from here to here, or how, wondering how sometimes something unusual got to be popular, there no doubt are fads in this world. Something will seem to have a whole lot of traction or will get talked about a lot from one year, and then the next year, nobody's even talking about it at all. I am always interested at what um, expressions become popular for a season and then they go away. How in the world does, do you get an expression to become popular? There are some things that get said and it wasn't said at all even a decade ago. And yet some of these expressions, they gain a lot of um, individuals that will use them on a regular basis. And no doubt, as years go by, um, that will dictate sometimes um, an expression. I use the expression sometimes, I just don't have any margin for that. Many of us are familiar with margin. That means any extra room to add something. How much margin do I have? There's an expression that's kind of taken over that with a little bit of technology involved. Now people say, I don't have the bandwidth for that. I don't have the bandwidth. Now, if you don't know what bandwidth is, you can see myself or any 14-year-old after the service, and they'll tell you what bandwidth is. That's what they're interested in when they go into a restaurant. What's the Wi-Fi password, and what's the bandwidth at this place? There's another expression that I hear used almost weekly, and I found myself using it as well. And it's this expression. It's not in their wheelhouse, or it is in their wheelhouse. I remember when I first heard that. And I asked myself, now how did that get popular? It's in their wheelhouse, or it's not in their wheelhouse. I did a little bit of research on this, and of course, um, a wheelhouse is referring to a little small room that has the helm to a boat in it on top of a small boat. Not a huge ship, but a boat that's big enough to have an enclosed room 
to where the individual that's steering that boat can see clearly, cannot have the effects of the weather affecting him. And so when, when an individual is there, he's in control. He has one job, not to sink the, sink the ship. And when someone is in there, they're in that wheelhouse. When someone says something is in your wheelhouse or not in your wheelhouse, that means something that you are pretty good at. You've spent some time developing that. It's used sometimes in sports in the area of baseball when someone pitches a certain pitch at a batter and they'll say they put that right in his wheelhouse and that's why he was able to perhaps hit a home run. The expression not in my wheelhouse is something that you're going to hear but I think it's going to fade. I want to connect that expression that for now has a little bit of popularity to a closing of our study in the Christian spiritual armor. And here's the bridge that I want to make from that connection to you. We've gone over all the parts of the spiritual armor today, and today we're just going to review, and then we're going to advance to the Lord's Supper. We're going to review all the parts of the spiritual armor And I want to suggest to you that the devil is not overly concerned if you are dabbling in some of these pieces of the spiritual armor. I'm not saying he likes it, but I'm saying he's not sending out an all-points bulletin to his demons that are there to trip you up if you're dabbling in these different parts of the spiritual armor. Having said that, If you have gotten to the point where these pieces of the spiritual armor that God has given us in this world so that we are able to rise up like the eagle, if you're not just dabbling in it, but if you have made a point in your life to try to put these in your wheelhouse, you've become an expert to the best of your ability. Now, I will give a little bit of an explanation here. For newer believers... For younger Christians, you're not expected to have an expertise on all of these. Not at all. My experience is is that you'll find some of them that come rather easily or more easy than others, I should say. And there are some that will be a big challenge to you. But we must not allow ourselves to remain in a place where we're simply dabbling with these ways that we can defend ourselves. We have to become experts. As we close our study talking about the Christian spiritual armor, I wanted to just spend a little bit of time in talking about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the time that he spent here in this world. When you think of the devil attacking and you think of Jesus Christ, is there anything that comes to your mind in that specific confrontation when Christ walked here in this world those three years of his earthly ministry, and the devil doing whatever he could to mess up God's plans. Is there anything that comes to your mind when I talk about spiritual warfare and the devil attacking Jesus Christ as far as what we have recorded in the Bible? I think there are two times that we find specifically the devil is going after Jesus Christ, at least the record that we find in God's word. And Jesus would prepare himself. Jesus Christ was always ready. There was never a time when he would be open to attack. He was a wonderful tester of this God-forged armor that we need in the conflict against Satan. 
Satan was constantly attacking Jesus Christ in his earthly life. But there are two occasions that stand out above the rest. One thing that I want to note before I mention both of those occasions is the only thing that I see that was predictable about Jesus Christ. As some of you are thinking right now, I've got the wheels spinning because you've studied the life of Christ. When you come across those letters in red, there's something just very, very appealing about that that you want to spend more time on. Jesus Christ was extremely unpredictable in almost every aspect of his life, but there was one aspect that he was predictable in. The one aspect that he was predictable in is the area of prayer. It could be assumed by his disciples if they woke up in the middle of the night or early in the morning and Jesus wasn't there, where did they think he was? They would oftentimes know he was off alone praying somewhere. I want to put on the screen Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, and I'll read it for us about Jesus Christ and about what he has done for us. It says there, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet without sin. Hebrews chapter 4 gives us this connection of Jesus Christ and what he went through and the fact that we do not have to worry in our world because he understands what we are going through. We do not have to give up. We do not have to quit. Now, I told you I wanted to mention two of those areas where Jesus Christ was, um, was attacked. One of them is in the wilderness. How many of you thought of that? Raise your hand if you thought of Jesus being attacked. Okay, put your hands down. Out in the wilderness, when Jesus Christ, right before his earthly ministry started, really, he was taken out in the wilderness and he was tempted by the devil. And the temptations that Satan brought to him were all based in the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And every temptation that you will face is going to be based out of one of these three. And Jesus was able to withstand the temptations as he used God's word to defeat the devil. And today, we are guaranteed that there is no temptation. I'm gonna slow down because I don't want anybody to miss this. You're guaranteed in your battle, in your time in this world, as I wait in this world, you are guaranteed that there is absolutely no temptation that any of the demons who have been doing this for thousands of years or Satan himself can come up with that you will not be able to withstand. There's nothing that they can bring your way that God will not make a way of escape from that temptation. And Jesus Christ is our example as he went out into the wilderness. And then the second occasion is found in Luke chapter 22. Would you please take your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 22? And this is really where we're going to um, be at, not in Ephesians chapter 6, but in Luke 22. And this is an attack that came from the devil upon Jesus Christ. And what I see was the devil did some of his worst work when Christ was approaching the cross of Calvary. The devil did some of his worst as Christ went through that last time, that last supper, and then he went out into the Garden of Gethsemane, 
And then he knelt down to pray. And here's where I'm coming from when I say the devil did his worst attacking. I've already let you know the only thing predictable about Jesus Christ was that he was a man of prayer. As Jesus Christ prayed, he got good at it. When we look at God's word, that's the one major request that the disciples asked, would you teach us how to do this? Not teach us how to heal better, not teach us how to preach better. They said, teach us how to pray. So Christ was very, very good at this. And if that's the case, that Christ is the ultimate example when it comes to prayer, then why is he having so much struggle when he goes to pray? We join together and we sing praises about this event because Jesus Christ told us to celebrate bloodshed. Rejoice in sacrifice. Was Jesus Christ not able to get to the point where we are? Where he knew this was a great event that was coming up? I want to suggest to us today that the devil was attacking in such a way that it had an incredible effect on Jesus Christ, one that we rarely hear about. If you're in Luke chapter 22, I want to uh, read verses 40 through 46, where the Bible says this, And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he, arose, when he rose from the prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. I want to suggest to us that this is a very vivid picture of Jesus Christ engaged in combat with the devil. And what he does here is he demonstrates for us that when we wear properly the spiritual armor that God has given us, then God protects those who, who are wearing that armor. This has to be in your wheelhouse. If you just dabble with it, then here's what happens. Then you're easily distracted. You know what easily distracted is, right? Some of you have had some toddlers around recently. We had a great activity here at the church last night, and we had some wonderful volunteers that helped out with the kids and somewhere around toddlers. Now, maybe you have a parenting philosophy um, of doing things a certain way, but if you're just babysitting or filling in, you might do whatever it takes to get them to stop crying, all right? And I can speak from experience. When you've got a young person who is crying, maybe throwing a fit, it's very easy sometimes to use distraction. Maybe you've used distraction. So they're focused on this, maybe they can't have this toy, or they're sad about this, and they're revealing their true nature, and that's that they are, they're all sinners just like you and me, and they're upset. And so we put something shiny over here. Oh, look, a toy. Oh, look. And we use distraction. I don't mean to be assaulting to you 
or to myself, but can I tell you that the devil uses the same thing? He will use distraction. If you are only dabbling in these pieces of spiritual armor, then very, very soon what he'll do is he'll say, oh, look over here. We talked about it in one of the songs earlier. The things that would draw our hearts away from Jesus Christ. The devil is a master of distraction. He doesn't pull you away with something that's wicked and sinful either. Oftentimes it's something very, very good. You cannot be a dabbler. You cannot do that. Um, I like it when people try to fool the expert. I like that. So somebody's an expert. They've been around for a long time in this certain field, and somebody tries to lie to them. Well, if somebody truly is an expert, they're going to know if you're lying. I'll give you one example. Uh, I I asked this question of an expert. I was in the dentist chair. And the dentist, when you go there, they always ask you, they always ask one question to me. It seems like every single time I go, they ask a question. They don't ask you if you brush your teeth. Nobody asks you if you brush your teeth typically, unless it's pretty obvious that you're not doing something there. But they do ask a similar question to you. And that question is, when you're in the dentist chair, do you floss regularly? And this ran through my mind last time I was there. I didn't ask the dentist, but I asked the gal who was cleaning my teeth. I said, do you ever get someone that says, oh yes, I floss every day, and then you get in there to clean their teeth, and it's obvious to you that they do not floss every day and they kind of look on their face and they say oh my goodness yes you wouldn't believe the people who lie about flossing some people are a little bit smarter than that they go and just before they go to the dentist or maybe the morning of that's when they'll pull out the floss right and they'll do it just that day so I said can you tell if someone has been flossing on a regular basis or if they've just done it once or twice before they came to the dentist and that look came on their face and they said Oh, yes, their gums are all red because they're not used to being rubbed like that. And so I don't think there's a huge, huge price to pay if you lie about flossing. But let me encourage you, you're not fooling anybody except for yourself. If you are one that is just dabbling, you're familiar with these. Now, like I say, if you're a young Christian, that's okay. You've got to start somewhere. But if you've known Jesus Christ for a decade or three decades, and you're not serious about this spiritual armor, then you need to take this very, very seriously. I I took the liberty of uh, just printing a handout, and these are available. There's about 50 of them in the back foyer there. I put a summary of each of the pieces of spiritual armor, and I'm just gonna read through them today. I'm only gonna camp out on one before we come to the Lord's table because I've already preached a sermon on all of these, but you can help yourself to that And um, I know before we started, I had these printed off, and my list has actually changed in how I would define those. But let me review them really quick. Number one, the first piece of spiritual armor is the belt of truth, the belt of truth. And what we said here is you need to develop core values that reflect God's word, and these values are going to consistently stand in contrast to the common values of the world. Now, they're not all in contrast because we believe thou shalt not kill. And for the most part, most of the world believes thou shalt not kill in most situations. But there are going to come times when you have developed something within you as the Spirit has led you from God's Word, and it's going to be opposed. This is the belt of truth. Next is the breastplate of righteousness. 
And what, how I summarize this is by saying we are to practice righteous living in order to resist the attacks of the devil and to be effective in following our most serious order, which is the Great Commission, by the way. So this is practicing righteous living. You have a history of when someone thinks of you, they think that is a righteous person. That's not really a phrase we use today. We don't even use the word God-fearing person today anymore. We just say, oh, they're a good Christian, is what we say. You need to practice righteous living for when these attacks come. The next one is the gospel shoes. We need to wear the gospel shoes. When we think of this one, the idea is to hold on to the promises that go hand in hand with the gospel. So we're not talking about getting saved. When Paul writes this and he says, put on the gospel shoes, he's not saying before you go out to battle with the devil, get saved. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, with the promise of salvation, there are so many other promises that come with it, and those promises will bring peace to your life. You need to not worry about talking about peace in the Christian life because it is promised. It's not promised that we won't have tribulation, but it's promised that we have God with us and all those promises that go hand in hand with the promise of salvation. And then next, we need to take with us the shield of faith, the shield of faith. And this is taking God at his word. And this is the one that I'm gonna camp out on just for a couple minutes. When I talk about the shield of faith, I've already mentioned there are some individuals that are in a a beginner stage of their walk with God. Maybe they've just gotten saved, realized they needed to follow, uh, you know, ask God for forgiveness. Maybe they've just, you know, they got saved a long time ago, but right now they're getting serious about God. So they're in their beginner stage. There are some things that you're going to, if you're in this beginner stage, there are some things that you're going to have to take God at his word about because you haven't had time to go through the entire thing yet. You haven't had time to have life experiences where you've gone down this road and you've seen God be faithful. Or you've seen this promise and you think, wow, that's an unusual promise and you've yet to experience that in your life. So what you're going to do is you're going to move forward in your walk with God and there are so many things that you've not read or experienced. And so what you're going to do is you're going to take the shield of faith and you're going to take God at his word. I think this applies very much to those people that are new into the family of God. But I don't think it's just for them. I think it's for everybody, but then I'd like to key in on one other area. I think for the mature believer, for the one who's been through all the promises, for the one who's had the experiences in this world, and for that believer who the devil brings down his tribulation to the best of his ability on you. I'm talking to several that are here today. You followed God your entire life. You've been faithful. You've believed him. And then here comes the attack that puts you this close to turning your back on God. You are going to have to walk by faith and take God at his word. Because what's going to happen is because you're here in this world still and you're going to look up and you're not going to see the blue sky 
There's gonna be a separation. There's gonna be clouds that are there. And you're going to say questions like, why? Why would this happen to me? What is God doing? Doesn't he love me? We sing about all this love of our God and I can't see it. You are going to have to hold on to this piece of the armor of God, the shield of faith, and you're going to have to take God at his word. Maybe it's the promise that he will never leave you nor forsake you. Maybe it's the promise that he will make a way of escape. And even if you're familiar with God's word, you're going to have to hold tight to the shield of faith. Next is the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. And as this one is defined, it sounds a whole lot like the gospel shoes. But where I want to highlight is constantly focusing on the specific truths of the gospel to sustain us of intense spiritual pressure in times of intense spiritual pressure the devil is going to come and bring great pressure and those are going to be times when you focus on what you know of the gospel and then finally the sword of the spirit we already talked about jesus christ he fought off the devil using the word of god what is in your wheelhouse these need to be in your wheelhouse get the little handout that i gave there Study them for yourself. Um, This is a great, great thing that's never going to go away, the spiritual armor. But let me encourage you, do not be a spiritual toddler. If you're not practicing all of these pieces of the armor, if you're not doing that, then you're going to be open, you're going to be vulnerable to attack from the devil. And so if there's one of these that you really need to work on, do not allow the devil to... Make you look over there. Squirrel. Shiny toy. He's a master of distraction. And so this needs to not be something that we dabble in each of these. We have to be building these into our lives. And the beauty is, the beauty is we're not alone. What has God given us? The Holy Spirit within. You have the Holy Spirit within you. He's talking to you. Don't go there. Do go there. He's encouraging you. Here's what the Holy Spirit is doing. He's praying for you. Did you know that there are some prayers that you need to give to God the Father that I think you don't even know how to word them? And if you are saved, God the Holy Spirit, I think, prays on our behalf. Words that we can't even utter. And he would pray on our behalf, and God the Father would say, I would grant that request. How beautiful. And God has given us a church family. We join together for corporate worship and there's one aspect to that. Hopefully it's a blessing and encouragement to you. But you need to be part of some kind of a group. You need to be missed. You need to be using your spiritual gifts in some way. You see, God has not left us alone. And God has said, as a very important part of going through, I need something to be a habit. I need something to be regular. I need you, my local churches down there in that world, to every once in a while join together and remember the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ.